0: Welcome back to another episode of the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. This is episode 87 with a packed episode for you. We're going to be talking about the new Grizzly Bear album, Painted Ruins, doing some brand new talk with their new album, and then diving into a discussion about Pitchfork's 200 best albums of the 1960s. But first, Jake, Mm -hmm. episode 87, 1987, what were some big... Albums that came out that year
1: Alright, a lot of big ones for you in 87, Sean You ready? Yeah The Joshua Tree by U2, Appetite for Destruction Guns N' Roses, Sign of the Times by Prince Strange Ways Here We Come by The Smiths Hysteria by Def Leppard uh, Dinosaur Jr. put out an album Let me see if I can find a couple more Please to Meet Me by The Replacements mm. um, We got Bad by Michael Jackson It's a Doc- big year Document by R.E.M. Tango in the Night by Fleetwood wow. Mac, Permanent Vacation by Aerosmith. Damn. Um, yeah, so so a packed year, 87 was. Huge, huge year, for yeah. For anyone, it, actually, it's strange that this should come out right now, because for anyone who's interested in hearing about basically all of those albums, Stephen Hyden's Celebration Rock podcast just did a 30th anniversary, 1987, in music episode that's very worth listening to. They talked about a lot of those.
0: Yeah, we are kind of uh, contemporaries of him. We're kind of peers on the same level.
1: Well, I think, if anything, he kind of has taken a lot from us.
0: No, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree. The only music podcast by music listeners for music listeners. That is our tagline, as you all know. Uh, Little history, Jake, in 1987. Aretha Franklin becomes the first woman inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Very exciting stuff. Deserved honor. Uh, Unabomber bomb explodes in Salt Lake City, Utah. I still still don't fully know who or what that is. I don't really know, like, what went down there. I I don't either, and I've kind of, I'm just ignoring that. I'm not even really. Yeah, I probably won't explore it further. Here's a fun one, though Legend of Zelda was released for the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. There you go. Yeah, that's good. I never
1: got any good at Ocarina of Time. Um, I know
0: we're jumping ahead several years. Fun fact I've never played that. It's a really good game. I need to. as a.
1: I say knowing almost nothing about it. It's
0: up there with Super Mario 64 is the best N64 game.
1: Because I owned Ocarina of Time, but as a little kid who like didn't really know how to get through it, yeah. I just walked around as little Link, like yeah. young Link, and I would just smash signs and rocks right. with my sword. But not my, like, do any of like, the
0: missions or whatever? No, I didn't like get how. That was a hard part about being a kid and playing video games. I didn't understand how yeah. to, like, get into a world in Super Mario for a long time. Yeah, well, and, and I would just play outside the castle. And it's
1: way... Well, my recollection as a five-year-old, six-year-old, <laughs> is that... Um, For some reason, really quick, the way I said five-year-old, six-year-old reminded me of the way Kanye says, a (laughs) 38-year-old, eight-year-old. But at that age, Uh. it's less spoon-fed to you, as I recall, than it is in Mario. Because in Mario, you figure out, like, oh, if I jump in pictures. Right. And once you have that, you're like, okay, I'm good. Right. With Ocarina of Time, I think it was like you had to kind of, like, venture down paths and, like, find shit. That's tough. That's hard. It was probably really easy, and I was just dumb. (laughs) I was just a stupid kid.
0: Uh, anyways, let's let's dive in, Jake, with uh, our favorite segment, one of our favorite segments, Hot Thoughts, where we discuss new music. Yeah, uh, let's do it. So, Grizzly Bear returned five years after their last album. Hard
1: to believe it's been five years I, since that came out. That blew, blew
0: my mind. I, yeah. I, I, like, knew that in the back of my head, but as I was reading reviews, and everyone was like, five years since their last album, I was like, whoa! And, and in my I mind, remember
1: Shields coming out. I do, too, and I remember, like, loving it then, and I... It's weird because um, even though I knew it had been a while, in my mind I was like, oh, they kind of always do that. They didn't really. Like between no. Vecatemist and, and Shields, it was three years. Yeah. I don't know what it was for Yellow House. I think they came out in like, oh, might have been six or years. seven. I think this is a, a pretty normal trend for bands, though. It'll be like they come out with four in the first decade. Right. And then it takes like a a
0: significant chunk of
1: time before they release another. Right, we're seeing
0: that with the national who are coming out with an album pretty soon. It's been four years. I think that's
1: the timeline we can start to expect from these bands. I I would
0: agree with that. So
1: here's the thing with this Grizzly Bear album. Um, it's getting good reviews, like pretty good, not as glowing as a lot of their albums have. I'm really, really liking it.
0: I am, too. I'm enjoying it a lot. It, uh, what does it have on Metacritic? in 80, 83?
1: 83 or something like that. What? It's still a, pretty high. W- well, it's a, definitely high. I guess what I'm reacting to is the Pitchfork ah. score, which is, if you go back in history for Grizzly Bear, it's a kind of a surprise, <laughs> because they have gotten glowing reviews from Pitchfork. I think Shields got a 9.1 or 9.2, and like yeah. Vecca Timis got a similar score. Like yeah. They've historically loved Grizzly Bear. I could tell... Dating back a while, when I read a couple of their reviews of the singles, none of them got best new tracks, right? And they were kind of saying it without saying it that they didn't. They they kind of felt the Grizzly Bear had lost their fastball with this album, right? I gotta say that I don't agree.
0: So not that you, they gave it a bad review, they gave like a seven six, seven three, something I like think. that, something like pretty that. good, which is still score. a good review. But it, for it's...
1: for someone that was a perennial best new music, right. perennial like. The capital I important band according to Pitchfork That's it's like a statement
0: well that, that's kind of what I wanted to get into with the conversation about this album is 2017 more than any year feels like the year that the Pitchforks of the world have decided indie rock in these bands that we backed for years yeah. don't cut it anymore not and this cool is anymore. not what we want out of our music anymore. And you can look back to bands like Real Estate and Spoon and some of the other big indie acts that have come out with albums this year already. Arcade Fire, that's a great example. I totally agree. And they've all gotten middling to poor reviews for their new albums. These are all bands who on their last album cycle or the album cycle before that, all were best new music bands. And you're seeing that with Grizzly Bear here where they're subtly saying... You're not as relevant as you were five years ago, four years ago, whatever it might be. And this is a really good album. This is... I'm not... I I think Shields is probably a little better. Yeah, Shields is better. But this isn't too far off the mark.
1: No, I I agree. And I think that... I, I think you're... I'm in lockstep with you about how Pitchfork has approached this. It does feel very much like it's a relevance thing. And they're saying you're not as important anymore... It's still good music. It's pretty. It's nice to listen to. But in terms of like we've jumped, we've jumped to another bandwagon. Yeah, we're on to new things. Yeah, so we're not going to be, you know, sort of, uh, sort of holding the vanguard
0: it, for for Pit, uh, Grizzly Bear. And what I hate to admit about myself is I look at Pitchfork every single day, and and I just I always make sure I look at their top review and just see what they give it for a score. And oh, I do too. Yeah. When I look at, when I saw Grizzly Bears and I saw it got a 7-3, I saw that before I listened to it. No matter how hard you try, that subconsciously seeps into into yeah. your brain and it colors the way you listen. And luckily enough for me, I was able to listen enough this weekend. I was doing some long drives. I had a lot of time to listen to it. And I got that pitchfork review and that score out of my head. And yeah. I, I just enjoyed it on my own, in in my own way. And now I can confidently say, no, that review is wrong. This deserves a better score. But it sucks because sometimes you don't have the luxury of spending that much time with an album like this. And I think Grizzly Bear in particular is an artist that really needs a lot of listens for you to unpack all the layers and arrangements and sounds it's that they're dense. packing in. Yeah.
1: What they do is it's a they're dense compositionally, the songs they come up with, and totally agree. You need to spend time with Grizzly Bear uh, music. The thing is, for me, dude, is like, I just am so excited to hear their voices again yeah. on record. I love uh, Daniel Rossen, and I guess it's Ed Drosty. I always thought it was mm. Drost. But I guess it's Drosty, because I listened to them on Song Exploder, and it was Daniel Rawson, and he was saying, like, I actually thought our other singer, Ed Drosty, would sing this one, talking about Four Cypresses, Um, and that's not what happened. But I, like, I really love those two dudes' voices, and just the way they write songs, the way way they use guitars and different layers, I always find so interesting, and it's just such a dense enjoyable mm-hmm. thing to have on and just in your life again. Like I Absolutely. It's very welcome for me.
0: It, it made me go back and listen to Shields and Vecatimist and some songs off of Yellow House that I hadn't listened to in a while. Yeah, And it reminded me how great this band actually is. They really, really are. And I feel like this album, while I don't think it's it hits the highs that Vecatimist or, or some of the songs on Yellow House or Shields hit, this is... Maybe more consistent than those albums.
1: In some ways. I think that, like... And there are some definitely really, really, really good songs on here. There like, are.
0: And, and I'm sure you'll you'll say some of them. For me, Morning Sound is great. Three Rings is great. I
1: love... I think Four Cypress is awesome. I've come way around on Neighbors. The first time I heard it Neighbors as, is as really a single, good. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. It's one of my favorites well, on the yeah. album now. Um, also, interesting to note that Sistol the second to last track not a favorite or anything but that's the first time Chris Taylor has ever sung on a Grizzly oh okay I was song. gonna
0: say t- Vocal sounded a they little sound different they sound different it's another yeah. member of yeah. the band yeah interesting um, that was a nice little melody in it though I, I really like oh, that I, song oh I like that song I think that Wasted Acres that first that song that song it's a great first song it is this really cool vibe about it are and, you
1: even yeah, listening yeah I love I what love does he say like DR- DRX
0: 350 or something, something like that. I don't know what he's 250? talking about I, I always think
1: it's like a synthesizer or yeah. something yeah um, and that's just, like, what I mean when I say that the mood their voices evoke. Yep. The way Daniel Rawson sings over that part, like, I feel like the first time I listened to it and I heard the, like, slightly jazzy, yep. reverby guitars under it, and I heard his voice coming in with the, are you even <laughs> listening thing? Yep. I was like, dude, welcome back. It's <laughs> yes, nice to yes, see you. I, I, I felt It's, the it's same great way. to hear from you guys. I felt the
0: same way. One of the songs that I really enjoy, it's a part on this song, it's Aquarian. Yes. And there's a part towards the back. It's the final minute. Where it's these really nice, beautiful guitar licks that are happening oh, okay. that you don't really hear on any other Grizzly Bear album. Um, it sort of reminds me almost of something you'd hear like uh, like Real Estate playing or something oh, okay. like that. Um, And I like that they put that in towards the end of that song. So doing some different things, I think taking the Grizzly Bear foundation and building on it in new and different interesting ways, not a total reinvention by any stretch, but definitely another very solid output from them.
1: As an album, I think that it does feel more reliant on electronic sounds than they have traditionally. It feels a little leaner. It's definitely still dense, but it feels a little bit more trimmed back, I guess, in some ways to me. Um, if But yeah, I think overall, if you were looking at their catalog and you just listened to a shuffle of all their songs, this stuff would
0: fit in. Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't seem absolutely. way absolutely. out. No, um, no, certainly not.
1: And, and I, I've been pleasantly surprised because based on the reviews I was reading ahead of time from Pitchfork on the tracks, I was like, oh, maybe this is like kind of a letdown. Right. But there was a discrepancy between the way they were writing about it and the way I was reacting to it. Yep. Another, here's another thing too. Morning Sound has grown on me. since it first came out
0: I I think with Grizzly Bear there is a tendency for those singles to work better in the context of the album I think it's hard to listen to Grizzly Bear songs just on their own as a single like that
1: I agree because the only one that really really sunk its teeth into me for some reason outside of the context of the album was Three Rings that's the only one where it worked and that came out way back in May I listened to it a shit ton then Um, and yeah with Morning Sound with Neighbors with Four Cypresses It was like, I listened to the singles a few times. I was like, yeah, it's good. Like, I'm looking forward to the album, though. I I, I won't really... They're
0: they're definitely one of those bands uh, where I listened, I think, to maybe Three Rings a couple times, and then Morning Sound once. I didn't listen to any of the other singles. I was like, I'm just going to wait for the album.
1: I really love how on Morning Sound, they bring in distinct parts for each singer. Mm. And you have um, and singing that part about, like, the we wait to the sound of... What is it? Something dogs and moving trucks or something like that. That mm. part's cool, and the way they both their voices are featured in that, um, and they, they have that really melodic, at like sort of jangly guitar line yeah. going through it. Cool stuff. I I I actually would really recommend this this record. I would
0: too. I it's it's up there for the year in terms of enjoyable albums for me. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Listeners, let us know what you think of Painted Ruins. Next up in Hot Thoughts, and Jake, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there who are disappointed we didn't lead with this in Hot Thoughts. Because I would say, in terms of music press over the past week, it has gotten top billing. Yeah. Um, And I have a quick trust tree for you. We're talking about Brand New with their new album, Science Fiction. It's their first album since 2009's Daisy.
1: And allow me to say, I think I know what your trust tree is, and I think I have a similar, if not worse, one.
0: Okay. So, I am not a huge Brand New fan. I, I don't fully them. I respect what they're doing and I understand they have a big, big fan base who's very passionate about them. And I think that's great. And I think it's awesome how much positive press they're getting and what a, a like, passionate fan reaction they're getting to this new album coming out. Sure. I love all of that. When I listen to their music with this album and I've listened to The Devil and God Are Raging Inside of Me one time, I'm left feeling sort of cold... And, I, like, I don't fully get what they're going for. There's definitely songs I like. Overall, I think I'm left being like, is that it?
1: Yeah, and so here's my trust tree. Up until listening to science fiction one time... I'm sure we're pissing so many fucking I, I'm sorry,
0: guys. I'm really, really sorry. Yeah, I'm listeners sorry. are bad. Because I feel like... It's, it- it's not us. It, it, or, or it's not them. It's us. Yeah, it is yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like,
1: that's oddly defensive after no, apologizing. It's it's, it's us. Um, my trust tree is that I had never listened to Brand yeah. New at all. I maybe, and I don't even remember it, listened to Jesus Christ once. Mm. That's their like, most popular song. Um And I got to say, I kind of echo your sentiments. Like, I listened to this record once. And so I'm not going to pass judgment. I'm not going to make any sweeping uh, sort of statements about how I feel about science fiction. I'll listen again. And I enjoyed parts of it. But I do agree where I, I feel like what is happening is... And it probably is happening with you, too. I always end up analyzing bands I always have to kind of understand how they fit in and with brand new I feel like I've never totally contextualized like what the hell they're about
0: yes you nailed that I didn't even I didn't put two and two together like that you absolutely nailed it I'm like wait What kind of band are they? Who likes them? What like scene are they in? How do I classify them? It
1: seems like they've been hugely influential in emo scenes.
0: Right, but they don't sound like that at all. They don't. And
1: in fact, I was very shocked listening through this album the one time I have. It reminded me of kind of like a little alt-metal-ish. Yeah! A little alt-metal. I was surprised by that. It was surprisingly radio-friendly. Yeah! It seemed like a little bit like... uh, radio friendly mid 2000s rock yeah. and again sorry if this is way the fuck <laughs> off
0: base the knives I, are gonna be out Jake yeah I know knives
1: <laughs> out um, it, it probably is deserved and I won't say much more because I don't want to I don't have a ton of opinions yet on this except that I know I should because it's evidently this huge event <sighs>
0: Yeah, and, and I think part of this, too, is we feel a little left out of yeah, of this event sure. that's happening.
1: You know what we could do is an explain to Jake and Sean on Twitter. Yeah,
0: explain it to us, please, because like, I want to know, how do I dive in? How do I get involved in Brand New? Because I feel like I could actually really like them. If if there's this many people who have this passionate reaction, and this album's getting insane reviews. Like, really? It is like a 93 on Metacritic or something right now. Wow. Like, it's across the board acclaimed. Fans are loving it. Fans are saying it's their best album so, like, I, I'm seeing a lot of love for it. I want to feel that passion. I want to be on the same level. Tell me, tell me things about them. I want, to, I want to learn about brand new.
1: Yeah, let's, let's hear your, your rantings and ravings. All, here's what I'll say, though. Really cool album cover. Super cool. Yeah. Very cool. With the two girls, like, jumping from a window and, or whatever they're and doing.
0: There's actually a few songs on here. I've only listened to this, like, two and a half times. There's some songs on here that stand out immediately. The second track, Can't Get It Out, I think is their most like maybe the most immediate song on here okay. and one that I actually really like. The first song, Lit Me Up, is really cool. It's got this dark vibe to it. And then uh 137, the one where it's like "Let's Go Play Nagasaki" or however that oh, goes. You that's that. a cool song. So there's stuff on here I definitely like. I'm just I really am trying to contextualize this yeah. band and really understand it. Because like you said, that's a big part of of how I listen and enjoy music. And it's hard for me to just kind of go in blind with no context.
1: Yeah, and it definitely seems important to people. So I'm going to put in more of an effort on this. I did listen once and again. I had no problems with it. I, I generally liked it, but I, I don't really feel like I have a whole lot to say about it yet, which I'm sure is disappointing.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But Sorry, guys. I'm, that's but, the truth. Yeah, it is. So that wraps up Hot Thoughts. Um, We've mentioned Pitchfork once before On this episode. I thought you
1: were going to say at all, and I was going to be like 10 times every episode. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, We've mentioned them a lot. What we want to do now is get into uh, uh, another segment called Think Peace, and this is discussing Pitchfork's 200 best albums of the 1960s. So. Every summer, I think Pitchfork tries to do a decade-spanning list yep. like this. Last summer, we had the 1970s. I think before that, we had the 1980s. And they're working their way down here.
1: And they, they did a 90s one, too. And they, I got to yep. say
0: that, actually,
1: as sort of alternatives to the traditional best album of all time lists you usually see, I've actually found these lists to be really helpful yeah. and have referred to them to get into a lot of albums yep. that I now love. Like Low by David Bowie is yep. an example of an album I wouldn't have really considered listening to if I didn't see it atop the 70s right. list. So I look forward to these lists.
0: So one thing that I, I think happens here with Pitchfork when they release these lists is you can expect them to dissent from those classic, like the... The Rolling Stone greatest albums list. And I'm going to classify all of those lists that we kind of grew up looking at as just the Rolling Stone lists. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of them out there and they all kind of follow the same rankings and trajectory.
1: And for me, what I'm referring to above all else is the Rolling Stone five hundred yeah. greatest albums of all time list right, yeah. that came out originally in 03 and I think got a revision in like 2010 or something.
0: Yeah, there's also a resource called I think it's acclaimedmusic.com yep. where it basic or dot net or whatever it is where it basically takes all of the lists on the internet from each decade and of all time, and puts them together. It's basically like a more accurate Metacritic, actually, just for greatest ever lists. And the Rolling Stone one pretty much mirrors that one. Rankings are a little different, but it pretty much mirrors that. So what I'm trying to say about Pitchfork, though, is I think they create these lists with those other ones in mind. They absolutely do. To give um, a different take on those lists in almost rewrite music history in a way to be in their own image, but also I think to be more inclusive of women, of other music genres, people of color, etc. Like there's a lot more jazz representation on here and a lot more world music and, and different styles of music than the white male Pop rock that we've been used to with those Rolling Stone style lists. And I respect the hell out of them for doing this and I think it's really cool because it does introduce us to a lot of new music that maybe we wouldn't have discovered otherwise.
1: Totally agreed, and I think that even outside of the social aspects of the way they're ranking these lists, I feel like Pitchfork, they have a different ideal they're going for when they're talking about best albums. In my opinion, they they credit it seems like experimentation and like fringe music. More so, and I think the great case in point for that is that the Velvet Underground and Nico is number one on this list, um, which I mean I think is it's certainly an amazing album and it ranks very highly on a lot of all time lists. But uh, with all the heavy hitters from Dylan, from the Beatles, from uh, you know even Pet Sounds, I don't think I necessarily saw it coming at one and was a little surprised. Um, and I think that they it's it's a little bit of a contrarian angle with Pitchfork. They oh, yeah. tend to they. And they they kind of have their cake and eat it too though because they're going to include those Beatles albums. They're going to include a lot of the albums you expect, but they're going to position them in the list. And we'll get to the Beatles in a little bit. They'll position them in the list in a way so that you know that they mm-hmm. thought about it and that they are ranking it lower than you thought that, that, yep. you, that you expected. Yep. and I definitely noticed this with the '70s. Yes. I, like there are I, there are some where you'd think like oh top ten from the '70s and they put it in
0: like the in '50s or something. Right. Some of the Zeppelin albums maybe. Yep. And, and just for context for anyone who hasn't been able to see this list, I'm going to quickly run through the top 20 for you just yeah, so you yeah. understand. That's good. So uh, I'm going to start at 20 and go down. So we have the Stooges with the Stooges, Dusty Springfield, Dusty in Memphis, the Rolling Stones with Let It Bleed, 17 is Charles Mingus, the Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, 16, Beatles, Abbey Road. Uh, Eric- I think,
1: and Coincidentally, I think that's the exact same spot or one one higher than it
0: was on the Rolling Stones list. I think you're right about that. Uh, Eric Dolphy, Out to Lunch, Bob Dylan, Highway 61 Revisited, Jimi Hendrix Experience, Electric Ladyland. Number 12 is The Velvet Underground's self-titled album. 11, Songs of Leonard Cohen. 10, Aretha Franklin, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. 9, Miles Davis, In a Silent Way. Love seeing that on there. 8, The Beatles with Revolver. 7, James Brown, Live at the Apollo. 6, Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde. Five, Nina Simone, Wild is the Wind. Four, The Beatles with The White Album. Three, John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. Two, The Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. One, The Velvet Underground with The Velvet Underground and Nico. So a
1: couple quick reactions. This is something I've been thinking all day as I kind of scan through the list. Is there a decade more stacked with best-of-all-time albums than the 60s? Because every time I look at this list... In my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm comparing this to the Pitchfork, I mean, the Rolling Stone Top 500 of All times li- of all Time list because there's so many of the same albums. And then I realize, no, this list is only ranking albums from the 60s. Right. And a lot of the ones you just listed are ranked very highly on just all-time general yep. lists. I feel like the 60s is stacked highly in that respect. It
0: is, and I think it's a product of amazing musical output, but also context of time. I think yeah. as time passes, it's more easy to canonize these as all-time greats. If you look at the 2010 so far, if you look at any of these lists like on acclaimedmusic.net, there's one album that's even close. It's Twisted Fantasy that came out in 2010. Right. Nothing else is even close to cracking I don't think the top 300 or anything like that. So, um I'm not totally surprised, but it is an interesting takeaway that that is the case.
1: So do we want to jump in with some Beatles talk on this a little bit?
0: Uh, yeah, let, let's talk about that, because so I, I think that was the biggest maybe bone to pick with us.
1: So it's it's whether, whether it's a bone to pick or it's just a general observation, I'm not sure, because it's interesting. I can kind of see one perspective where it feels like some Beatles albums have been ranked lower than they probably deserve. So for example, uh, White Album at four is probably fair. Revolver at eight seems a little low for the 60s. Um, they have Abbey Road at 16. Sergeant Pepper at 28. That, let's start there. Yeah. Sergeant
0: Pepper at 28. So this is the biggest statement they made with the feels list. Feels like a, a huge statement. It's saying, not only is this not the best Beatles album, like everybody says, it's not even close to the top 10.
1: Not only is it not the best Beatles album, not only is it not the best album of the 60s, or the best album of all time, it's not even the best album of the 60s. Right. You know, and right. so... And it's not even in the top ten, which it's, it's, I think in some ways is interesting because it feels like what's the ideal Beatles album is shifting over time in some mm. ways. And I think that bears out on this list. The fact that the White Album ranks so high and Revolver, which has always been a lot of people say like, no, that's really the album, not Pepper. It's Revolver. Those end up ranking higher.
0: And I, I feel like Pitchfork has their finger on that pulse. They absolutely do. And I think they're trying to now dictate yeah. what the public perception of the best Beatles album is. And you know what, Jake? With We've talked at length about the Beatles over the last year on this podcast. There's not been a bigger riser in terms of our rankings than the White Album. Oh, here's, yeah. here's what I envision the Beatles canon of best albums to be over time. I think... From the 60s up to about the 2000s ish, it was Pepper, definitely. Then it started to become Revolver. That was the trendy pick from like 2005 to about maybe a year or two ago. I think The White Album is supplanting both of those as the new trendy hot pick. Like, I would rather listen to The White Album now than Revolver. Even though I have long maintained that Revolver is my favorite Beatles album and the best Beatles album.
1: Revolver is, I, th- I think, full stop the best Beatles album. I, it is my favorite. And I know what you mean when you say that the White Album is more listenable. And I'd, I'd maybe rather listen to it in some ways too. Because there's just so much there, so much content. That's why it was on our Desert Island Discs in right. recent episodes. It's very interesting to me how time and where we are in a time and place will affect a ranking like this. And the way yeah. people regard albums. Because again, I know we've talked about this. The White Album is a 1968 album. Tumultuous year Mm -hmm. in American history, a lot of weird shit going on politically. Feels like the disjointed nature and the up and down craziness of the White Album kind of reflects the way Mm -hmm. people are feeling about the world right now, especially Ah, in America. This very much feels like a 1968 year in terms of political unrest and just general uh, tension. In the way world and and like sort of politics, helter skelter, Jake. Right, and that's very much what the White Album's all yep. about. We're not at a time in history that feels at all akin to the Summer
0: of Love. Hell no, no. we're not even no. close. No,
1: and so Sergeant Pepper doesn't ring true. Here's what I'll say. I mean, I think we have established both of us that Sergeant Pepper's not our favorite Beatles album. No. It's not even in my top three favorite Beatles albums. No. I don't know where I'd rank it. I Obviously, I love it. There's a lot of great stuff on it. I think that some of it is sort of goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love Pepper. You're making a statement when you say it's the
0: 28th best album of the 60s. And, and that makes me ask, what are your criteria for this? What is it right. just people, you know, like your writers voting on it, and you do a very... Regimented, scored system of just what your writers are saying, or are you Pitchfork trying to make a statement with where you're putting this and cooking the books a little bit, cooking the results? And and, in what makes me ask that question as well is putting Rubber Soul at number forty six on this list. That feels like almost more of a a personal attack on the Beatles than putting Pepper at twenty eight, because I think there's a lot of people out there. Actually, maintain Rubber Soul as their favorite Beatles album, yeah, and go to bat and say that's better than Pepper. To put that at 46 feels yeah. very low, very low.
1: It does, I mean, especially when these albums, all of them are usually considered shortlisters for mm-hmm. best of all time records. Right. Here's the thing, though, I in some there are parts of me that appreciate what Pitchfork's doing with it in that. It is a sort of a a, a reshuffling of what is accepted about the '60s. At the same time, that does feel low. It feels contrarian to put it that low. You could argue, like, oh, what fun is it to have a top ten or a top twenty that's just stacked to the brim with Beatles albums? And maybe that's fair.
0: But if that's how it should be, I don't know. Like, is is Electric Ladyland better than Rubber Soul? I don't know. It de- probably not. I is, think it depends who you ask. Uh, you know, is... Uh, is Sly the Family Stone with Stand better than Rubber Soul? Is White Light, White Heat the third Velvet Underground album in the top 26 better than Rubber Soul? I, I don't think it is. Yeah.
1: And it, again, again, I think this is where you get Pitchfork Slant on things. Because yeah. they, I think, trend much closer to... Music that is far from the mainstream. And right. so there's no band they're going to jerk off to more than the Velvet oh, Underground. Oh my God. Yeah. And again, forget I've really it. Come, I really come around on some of those Velvet Underground albums. I really like them. Um, they're not going
0: to ever eclipse Beatles albums for me. So, and here's what I wanted to bring up. So, when we're looking at this list, and the more that I was thinking about this earlier today, the more it started to, to bug me. And I actually brought this up with a friend of mine at work who we got in a lengthy debate about. Big um, friend of the pod. And and I brought up how, wait, as big and as influential and as important, capital I important, as the Beatles are and were, how are not almost all of their albums just in the top 20, based on influence alone? Because not only did they influence basically every pop songwriter from here to the end of the earth, they also were just great albums, very, very listenable, great songwriting. They showed studio mastery and evolution and the commercial appeal was there so whatever criteria you're ranking this list on whether it be experimentation or songwriting or commercial appeal it checks all of those boxes how are not every single one of the albums in the top 20? I'm even talking Beatles for sale, yeah, just on, on on influence alone. I feel like those albums, especially their early work, please
1: please me should have been on this list, yeah. Um, with the Beatles, Help. should have been on this list. I, I really do think that if you're doing 200 albums from the 1960s, every Beatles album makes the cut. It, ha- it yes, there's no it way, has to. there's no Beatles album. That is not good enough to be considered for the top 200 right. of a decade. Because they're, I mean, in terms of importance, as you spoke to, definitely they all apply. Um, and yeah, I think in terms of quality, even their worst record, Beatles for Sale, has some amazing. Eight fucking, Days a
0: Week is on that record. Yeah,
1: amazing songwriting. Yep. It has that dark trilogy to start off with yep. No Reply, Babies in Black, and. Uh, loser. I'm, I'm a loser. loser. Yep. Um, and again, I, I, I realize how this might come across. It probably comes across as two huge Beatle fanboys.
0: Which is true. This is a big jerk-off fest for the Beatles. Every three weeks, we basically do this. Yeah, it's fair. Right. But, it, like, come on. It's the Beatles. How do you not rank Rubber Fucking Soul higher than 46? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, especially for the decade. Right. That's the thing that I can understand maybe people. all time. Maybe all time it doesn't make, you know, top 25.
1: But think about it. Like, if you compiled their lists and say they ranked all their album lists from all these decades... Yeah. In another order. They ordered them all. Where does that put Rubber Soul all time? Like 200th?
0: Unless you're weighting the 60s so much higher from what you said earlier about how it's such a strong decade. Right. But that's a great point. So I think what's
1: interesting about this and what I do sort of appreciate again is that it feels like they're putting a new emphasis on what is considered important, what Mm -hmm. is considered best. And from that angle, I see it as interesting. Yeah. I, I immediately, when I saw this list put on Beatles fan armor. Yeah. Because I knew instantly, I was like, they're going to take a fucking beating. Yep. And when I saw that the White Album was fourth. I was like, oh, maybe they're going to put Pepper first. I was like, that'd be a big surprise, because I was scrolling through. Oh, didn't, you
0: didn't start from 200.
1: I, I went immediately to the top 20.
0: Oh. And I, I had it spoiled for me on the way down. I was like, Psh, of course.
1: Oh, really? Okay, yep. yeah. No, I started at the top 20, so okay. I didn't see the 40 to 21 part. Yep. And so I was like, okay, maybe they'll go Pepper. Maybe they'll just go conventional here. Um, and when I saw they didn't, I was like, well, how far back is that buried? And it was really interesting to see. Yep. Um, But it, At the same time, as much as we're bitching, there's a part of me that's like, well, I've known for a long time Pepper's not their best album. And I actually am more in step with you where I think the bigger slight is toward Rubber Soul. I'd actually personally rank that higher than Pepper. Oh, me too. Um, So it's almost interesting to me that someone had the gall to put Pepper that low. Right. I I feel like even if you don't love it, it has to be top 10 of the 60s. Sergeant Pepper?
0: <laughs> no, Jake, it's 28, and it was lucky to get 28 like, pitch for Pitchfork.
1: Like, it, it, it's funny because, again, we're doing that thing that we've railed against where it's like just accepted wisdom yeah, and that's that, yeah. but at the same time, dude, Sergeant Fucking Pepper is not the
0: 28th best album of that decade. I know. It's one of the best that's albums crazy. of all time. That's crazy.
1: So it like it at the same time, it's not worth getting upset about. But
0: that's what I mean. Like, this list should realistically have five or six Beatles albums in the top ten, and that's not a fun list. And it's not no. fun either for people like us to be defending the Beatles who really don't need to be defended. No, right. So that's no fun. But at the same time, like, come on.
1: Yeah, it's like it feels like defending like the Yankees or something. Right. In or, the, or, the,
0: with, or the Patriots. Yeah, right. Yeah, which, which we are
1: also fans of. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> You might say we st- we're not fans of the Yankees, though. I don't yeah. really watch
0: baseball. No, baseball sucks. But the
1: point remains. It, it, so there, while I have qualms with it, it's weird. It's almost like this. I kind of respect it, right? But I, I'm mad about it. I'm sort of upset about it, but at the same time, I know that f- people who love the Beatles, they're not necessarily looking here for some ranking. They probably know all these albums already,
0: right. and we want to give some some attention to some of these. N- not often discussed albums and I, I like it for that, that point
1: that and what I like is I like that it gives the White Album some shine yeah. being their best yeah. being fourth that's really high Yeah, you know, it's a high ranking let's jump around in to the top ten in general here because I feel sure. like we're, we're going Beatles heavy Yeah, I can see that alienating people and again yeah. let us know listeners if we are just total blowhard Beatle fanatics probably and maybe they don't deserve this at all Uh first of all I think you're wrong Um, but I'm willing, <laughs> I'm willing to hear that out I'm willing to hear that out
0: so my the thing that I think I liked the most out of this top ten was Miles Davis in a silent way being at number yes, nine. loved seeing that. This is my favorite jazz album of all time. I love the vibe of this album. I love the, the sounds of this album. I love the feel. I love the early jazz fusion in guitars on this album. And I don't think it gets the attention it deserves you know, at it all. The I atmospheric think, vibe, dude. It's amazing. And I think if you are someone who was like me, who had a difficult time really breaking into jazz in a silent way, is the record for you to start with.
1: I'm curious what you think about the way they ranked top-tier Dylan. Oh, okay, so Th- they this had, is another... They yeah. have Highway 61 Revisited, which is my personal favorite Bob Dylan album, at 14th. They have Blonde on Blonde, I think, at 8th? What is it? 6th. Six. 6th. So that's swapped from the way it
0: is on the Rolling Stone list? Here's the deal, Jake. I think we have grown up being told Highway 61 is the best... Bob Dylan album and we've kind of taken that as gospel and I would have reached that conclusion myself anyways. Yeah, eventually. But I think Blonde on Blonde is actually the consensus considered best Bob Dylan album. When I have brought this up to people, everyone says, oh, Blonde on Blonde. Yeah. And on acclaimedmusic.net, Blonde on Blonde's the highest ranked Dylan album.
1: And I was curious what you thought, especially because in the ranking on the Rolling Stone list it swapped, Right. and because I think both of us, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I like Highway 61 more. Not
0: only do I like Highway 61 more, I like Bringing It All Back Home more than really? Blonde on Blonde is. Well. Where did
1: that fall in this, 38th or something like that? It was like a that? little,
0: it was, yeah, it was 38 actually, yeah, Bringing It All Back Home, yep.
1: Here, here's another thing I want to ask about in the in the top ten. What armor, and we've used the word armor a lot. What what sort of like magic potion or elixir has Pet Sounds drank to always always get this high on lists? Again, I love Pet Sounds, right. I do. Um, but to to put that too and have it, I feel like again that's another statement. Putting it ahead of any Beatles album right. by a couple slots. Putting it way the fuck ahead of Rubber Soul, which they call out in the video in the list, saying if this was influenced by Rubber Soul. Yep. They put it ahead of Revolver. They put it ahead of Pepper. Um, Pet Sounds is impervious to fucking damage, dude. It doesn't matter who is reviewing it. Pitchfork loves it. Rolling Stone loves it.
0: You know what it is about Pet Sounds is it is the cool pick to be dissenting without actually really being dissenting. I always felt like Rolling Stone put it at two on their list to be like, look at us putting Pet Sounds at number two. Pitchfork is sort of doing the same thing but it does feel like a shot at the Beatles a little bit so it's like it has become such the dissenting pick it's now just the pick at number two
1: and it's I mean obviously without a doubt an incredible record Yeah, and, and I think that what it also has going for it is a really incredible story with sort of the mad genius t- storyline mm-hmm. about Brian Wilson and the, mm-hmm. the way that it didn't get received well it didn't get uh, a lot of commercial success um, it's interesting to me how this album always finds its way to two always two always I've, the bridesmaid, never the bride I feel like you know it's not one no I feel like you know no. that right no it's not one and I think no
0: matter what angle you're coming at whether you're it's coming it's probably at, not even two it, it, it's not two either
1: again it, I think you can make a strong argument for it it's not my two right it's not my number right. two right I think again th- that's what is confusing about this list in some ways is that it it almost feels conventional because all the albums are there all the ones you'd expect, with some other ones interspersed, which I want to talk about too, but they're in a different order, and like, I don't know, it just feels like kind of a contrarian ranking of them.
0: I know exactly what you mean but here. But at the same time, this Pet
1: Sounds ranking is totally conventional. This is where I would have expected Pet true. Sounds to end up.
0: true. And I would have expected like, white album to be at four, but just to have, like, one or two other Beatles albums ahead of it. <laughs> I would have expected white album to be, like, I honestly thought it was going to come in in, like, the teens. Pitchfork Pitchfork strikes me as big white album people. Yeah. Because it's, again, it's kind of that dissenting pick. What do you make of, of Velvet Underground and Nico at number one? Um, Again, I, not my number one.
1: No. <laughs> it's not my number one either. I do love this album, um, and I've come I, to really, really love the Velvet Underground in a lot of ways. Um... Velvet Underground and Nico is not my favorite album of the '60s, but it'd probably be like top twenty, top fifteen. Yeah. Uh, But it's nowhere near as listened to for me as a lot of these other great albums Uh, uh, by Dylan, I agree. Pet Sounds by the Rolling Stones, by uh, the Beatles, uh, that they put way behind it. And again, this feels it's it's funny because it's not the obvious pick for best album of the '60s, but it almost is obvious
0: coming from Pitchfork. I honestly was guessing that would be, number if one. not number one, top five lock. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, Pitchfork, Velvet Underground, easy. Yeah, So right. that doesn't really surprise me at all. Um, you know what I love seeing on this yeah. list, Sean? What's that? Is the Love Supreme getting number three. See? I love that. And it's I, a great, great album. And uh, as somebody who doesn't like jazz as much as you, I can still be like, wow, this is a great jazz album. Yeah. I like In a Silent Way, hands down, more than A Love Supreme.
1: I know what you're saying, and I I think that the way I look at it is, In a Silent Way is nighttime jazz. Right. It's the moodiness. It's the dark. It's sort of an alleyway. Yep. The city. A Love Supreme is morning music, man. There's such a fucking vibe on this record that I don't... I can't think of another album that I would listen to
0: for the same shit i listen to A Love Supreme for.
1: It's so... And the story behind it's it
0: is... It's a bright album. It's bright. It's, and it's too bright for me, actually. That's why I, I I prefer in a silent way.
1: And Coltrane's style as a sax player is very, very, very fast.
0: Yeah. Very aggressive. Uh, see, that's not my favorite jazz. It's Well, it's definitely
1: all the way the other end of the right, spectrum right. from what you're getting with
0: uh, in a silent right. way.
1: I think that this is an album where it's it's like you can't... It has a different mood altogether than something like Kind of Blue or what Miles is usually about. Coltrane's going the complete other way. He's going 100 miles a minute. And just like the whole album is about how he kicked his addiction and he found God or whatever. And and I, I was happy to see it rank so highly just because I love it. And I think it deserves a lot of credit.
0: Yeah. Uh, some other interesting highlights here. So there's actually three albums in the top 10 I've never heard before. One mm-hmm. of them is Nina Simone with Wild is the Wind. The other is Live at the Apollo by James Brown. And then number 10, Aretha Franklin with I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. I have some work to do, Jake. I have There's a lot of albums. And the great thing about Pitchfork is these rankings make me realize what holes I have in my music listening. And these are three albums... That I need to go back and listen to.
1: Yep, they, they are for me too. Another is like the Dusty Springfield album yeah. that came in 19th. I did give that a listen today. It was really cool. Um, Son of a Preacher Man's
0: on that. Right. I've never listened to that Stooges album either.
1: I've listened to Funhouse by Stooges. I have listened to The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady by Mingus right. and Out to Lunch by Dolphy. Both are really, really good jazz albums. These And it's cool to see these represented because they're on that list I'll refer to, the Jazz 100. Right. Which is always cool to see. There are holes for me too in the top ten, and all three that you mentioned, I had never heard of. And actually, that is exciting in a lot of ways, yeah. Because I look to these lists as like, just give me something to listen to. Give me right. something to when I'm not listening to new music. Right. What can I be turning my attention toward? Right. Um, I'm particularly excited just based on the album cover and its placement on this list by this Nina Simone album.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that yep. could potentially be really, really cool. Yeah, I've always heard of Live at the Apollo as like the James Brown album. I
1: think it was Stephen Hayden who called it one of his favorite live albums right, yeah, of all time. Yeah. I didn't necessarily expect to see it this high. I didn't. It
0: was pretty high on the Rolling Stone list. I it think was. it was top 20, yeah. I got to listen to that. Some other interesting uh, takeaways here. We can kind of move through the list and just pick things out as we go yep. here. What do you think of the placement that the Rolling Stones got? So um. they they were at, for reference... Uh number eighteen. Eighteen. Let with, it, with Let It Bleed. And then Where was Beggar's Bank? it was it was a little bit lower. It, it was thirty five. So eighteen and thirty five. And then they had Aftermath way lower on the list. Yeah. And those were the only three that ranked. Um,
1: it's 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 interesting because with the stones, I feel like they have the unfortunate sort of fate of their four best albums back to back to back to back which are Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers and um, Exile Exile on Main Street Yeah, crossover decade lines you get one in 68 one in 69 then you get 71, 72 it really feels like that's. I always think of that as almost a collective work those four albums and it's a progression of them exploring Rootsier, bluesier sounds And then blowing it all the way out On Sticky Fingers and Exile Um, I feel like this is a more or less fair ranking I personally would like to see Let It Bleed and Beggars a little higher To be honest with you These albums are almost like part A and part B for me They have a very similar structure In terms of how the hits are placed on Mm -hmm. the album And the other kinds of things they're trying to do with it To, To the extent that I often have to look at the track list to remember which one is which. I know that Let It Bleed's... Only, really? Well, and, and what's interesting is when I listen, I know it through. But I kind of mix up which one is oh, which So Oh, like, like
0: some of those uh, like in the middle songs. Yeah, like, like yeah. If, you, if you told me,
1: like, uh, No Expectations and Dear Doctor. I right. know that those... Are those beggars? Those are
0: both beggars' banquet, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then, like, Let It Bleed has Monkey Man. Monkey Man. And, um, Country Honk. Which one has you got the silver? Let It Bleed. Yeah, so, like, again, sometimes... I feel like they came out in such quick succession. I feel like they're made under similar circumstances with a similar goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the songs on them, I feel like I feel like they're from the same album.
0: I, I know what you mean. They both they feel very similar. I think the Stones got shafted a little bit on this list, a little bit. Which do you like better, Beggars? I like, I like Beggars Banquet better. I think I do too, and that's I do. the thing
1: that was because. In looking at the, that, has Street Fighting Man? It has um, Sympathy for
0: the Devil, Straight Cat Blues, yep. Salt of the Earth. That's right.
1: Yeah, I, I think I might. No like expectations. Beggars a little bit better I like, too. I
0: like Beggars more. Um, what do you make of Jimi Hendrix and his rankings on this list? So Electric Ladyland was number thirteen. Um, you had Are You Experienced at thirty nine, and then. Axis Bold is Love showed up somewhere else on here, too. I, I don't um, remember off... Oh, at 64, Axis Bold is Love. So, for I me... I feel
1: like that's the consensus, if not ranking, order of Hendrix i I,
0: I agree. I agree. For me, um, I don't ever listen to Jimmy anymore. I think he is aged maybe the worst of any of those classic rock bands that we used to listen to in high school that I was really into then. I don't ever feel like listening to him anymore. I'll still... Put on Zeppelin and The Stones and some of those. For some reason, I have a hard time going back to Jimmy.
1: I definitely feel, and we've talked about this before, so I don't feel bad saying it. I definitely think I have always liked Hendrix more than it seems like he's appealed to you. Yeah. I also don't listen to him a ton anymore. I think that of these albums, I don't Mm -hmm. mind seeing Ladyland highest. I think it's of any of them that I'd want to jump in and listen to now this is the one that I'd feel like Mm. doing because it does have him veering off into some really interesting more experimental stuff instead of just like the acid based blues riff based stuff yeah um but in terms of the order that you just said, Electric Ladyland going down to Are You Experienced, down to Axis Bold As Love, that's probably how I'd rank it. Yeah. Um, so I don't mind.
0: I, I, yeah, I, th- I think that's fair.
1: What about Zeppelin? Okay. I, I was
0: going to bring up Zeppelin. So their highest ranked album is Led Zeppelin 2 at number 37.
1: And they had Zeppelin 1 in like the 50s, right?
0: Zeppelin okay. 1 was actually at number 72.
1: 72, okay. So
0: this, uh, this is Pitchfork for you. I would have both of these higher on my personal list, but... And again, Zeppelin,
1: they're a critics band, but they're not. Right. They, they are... I feel like critics at this point in history give them respect at all only because they feel they have to, because the I feel like the groundswell of fans yep. has just proven critics wrong at this yeah. point.
0: But I, It's against their will that they even have to put them on yes, here. Yes,
1: I, I totally agree. I think that it, for the most part music writers... Like there are some like I think I'll, there are some who would definitely be all in on Zeppelin, but I think there's a there's a decent probably contingent at Pitchfork who don't like them at all.
0: In the way these were written, it, they're almost they're backhanded. The blurbs were backhanded. They were like talking about you know like basically calling it cock rock is is what they were doing basically and said like doesn't even belong in the '60s. And it's like yeah I get what you're saying, but it's also it feels a little backhanded. Well,
1: also what people I think overlook with Zeppelin is that. The fact that they came out with those albums as propulsive and insanely hard-rocking as they were is insane
0: for the 60s. That's the truth. The
1: fact that those came out in 1969 is is fucking crazy to me still.
0: Uh, No, I I agree. Um, uh, So a couple other notes here, Jake. Simon and Garfunkel. They had Sound of Silence at 105, and then they had Bookends at 68. They're leaving off what I actually think is their strongest 60s album, which is Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. See, I,
1: I'll, I'll own up to and trust Tree the fact that I'm not as versed in those albums okay. as you are. Okay. I, I For me, I've listened mostly to, all the way through, um, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Bridge Water. Bridge
0: Over Troubled Water, I think, is their height. That came out in 70, I believe. Yeah. Um, But I, I think all of, all three of those uh 60s albums should have made it on there. All, bookends and Sound of Silence are... are great, but I would have liked to see Parsley Sage on there as well. I have a question
1: for you. Um, Are you someone that you can ever... Do you think you'll ever get into the kinks?
0: I've So, I've asked myself this a lot over the past few years, because I'm reading sort of the 1,001 albums to listen to before you die. There's a lot of kinks albums on there. There's a lot of kinks albums on this list.
1: And they have... I think it was in the 190s, they had Arthur... Um, or the decline of Western yeah. Civilization or whatever the yeah. hell the parenthetical parenthetical title is there yeah. the Kinks are the Village Green Preservation Society at 27 um, I think there's one other capital I important Kinks album that's probably in here somewhere I've listened to some of these albums like once or twice they're definitely good I just think there's some kind of disconnect with me and the Kinks
0: I, that's how I feel, too. Is it is it Green uh, Village Green Preservation Society? No, that's, that's the, the other one, one. That's the one I just re- Oh, referenced. okay. Okay, sorry. I'm not yeah, sure I think you're right. There is another one in here somewhere. But I'm the same way, man. I, I have a hard time. I know some of the big kink songs, and they're fine. It just feels like at this point, they've been referenced and have influenced so many people now. I get what the kinks were doing, and I don't get the most value out of going back and listening to them and those records. It's worth
1: it. They're interesting. Yeah. And I, I kind of did like them. And it's very melodic stuff, and it's super catchy.
0: I just don't know if it's like totally for me. Um, I, I, I have a shocking one for you that I kind of forgot about till now, Jake. The Who, the one Who album that made it on here is the Who sell out at number 69. No Tommy.
1: Wow. That's no a, Tommy. That, that
0: is a, uh, a statement by Pitchfork.
1: That's really, really interesting, man, because I feel like... How can you deny just the sheer number of good songs on Tommy?
0: I don't know, man. That's I, I personally think Tommy's a little overrated. Um, I had like a big still. resurgence
1: with Tommy last year where I didn't think I would ever get into it again. And all of a sudden over the summer I just started listening to it and I realized how fucking genius... Again...
0: Maybe the, i got to go back.
1: The concept of it is sort of silly. It's just like this silly right. story and the whole idea of it being an opera is overblown and that whole thing... It's, it's, it's definitely over the top and I don't care about the story. The melodies that Pete Townsend is writing on that album, just in, just in so much yeah. of it. And there's so many different songs, so many little ideas. That's what I really enjoyed going back. I also have really come around on The Who Sell Out too. Here's one I want to ask about mm-hmm. it. Number 56... King Crimson and the Court of the Crimson King.
0: Not available on Spotify. I've never listened to it. I want to so bad because Kanye has name dropped this as an influence on some of his music. And I think he might have sampled something he from did it.
1: In, uh, in uh, Power.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. 21st yeah.
1: Century, uh, what is it? Schizoid, Schizoid Man. Man. Yeah,
0: I really want to listen to this album. And it's not on Spotify. And I've been too lazy to go and get it through another source.
1: Um, I like seeing Bill Evans Sunday at the Village Vanguard on here at 59. Here's another one for you, Sean, that I've never listened to, also not on Spotify, that I would like to hear, although I'm less excited about it based on what I know of it. Number 54 on the list, Captain Beefheart and his magic band with right. Trout Mask ra- Replica. Yep. From what I understand, this is like legitimately, it's like anti-music.
0: Yes, we've talked about this before. Yeah, you told me about that. It'd be interesting to check out for sure. Uh, I guess it's Again, kind of long. can't say I'm excited. Um, Doors one representation on here with their self title, pretty low. I feel as though at 95. V-
1: honestly, dude, with the Doors, I honestly think that's fair. I think it
0: is too. I think it is too. The l- yeah.
1: What I've come, re- I like that first Doors album, and I love them as a songs band. Two thoughts though, I listened to La Woman all the way through for the first time last year, and I was like, this is like not that good an album. It doesn't really hang together that well. There's great songs on it. Right. I didn't. I thought there were some really uninspired songs. Yeah. Also, they're a band that it's it's taken me till recently to realize like critics don't love the Doors and no. there's a lot of people who just straight don't like them at no, all. Oh yeah. And think they're corny and like yep. their whole shtick
0: is sort of lame. No. Uh, I'm. Yeah. I know what you mean by that.
1: Oh, here's Rubber Soul at 46. Oh, good. And I'm just scrolling through that like in the fucking
0: <laughs> bottom of the barrel of this list. Uh. Any other thoughts from you, Jake? I think overall, mine are. I'm a little. Triggered by the uh, the Beatles rankings. Yeah, I
1: think we we definitely made that
0: clear. But I think it opens up the door for new albums to be in that conversation of the best ever. Everyone knows the Beatles already. Maybe people haven't listened to some of these other ones. And for that, I'm thankful for this list. And also, sparked some great conversation.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that's fair. And um, again, I'm not going to... Well... We just talked for like 20 minutes about how we're upset where the Beatles were ranked. Because what I was going to say was I'm past the point where I'm going to really worry about it. Uh, I guess the thing is is we're on a, t- a podcast talking about yeah, stuff. So i got to come up yeah. with something. I, I honestly, when I saw this, I wasn't overly triggered. I wasn't being like, a total Beatles snowflake about right. it. I was like, you know what? I know what they're going to do. Right. I won't agree. i got to kind of roll with it.
0: Let me ask you this. Is there anyone who actually agrees with this list? I don't think there
1: is like full stop agrees. That's right. There's
0: not. Not even those pitchfork writers don't even agree. Oh, they don't. I I guarantee you they don't. Well, like there's someone who is pulling strings here. Yeah. I don't think this is anyone's actual ranking. Well, you know what I mean? Like this is a fake ranking.
1: Yeah. Well, no one. I don't think anyone can ever agree with any list. Right. Because it's always some sort of conglomeration of rankings from writers or from influential music thinkers or whatever. Um, I think very rarely would you find someone who's like, "Yup, my that's in lockstep right, with my ranking. Right, that's right. exactly how I'd have done right.
0: it." And that's the whole. That's what's fun about these lists, I guess. Yeah. So, listeners, let us know what you thought of the Pitchfork Best Albums of the Two uh, the the Two Hundred Best Albums of the Nineteen Sixties list. Um, Jake, let's actually let's do an audible. Let's not do trim the fat this week just because we've run long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll save that for next week. Let's wrap up with our Mount Rushmore. So yes. Given the fact that you and I have been told we agree maybe too much sometimes on things. Sure. And that Hmm. it seems to be a jerk-off fest between us.
1: Here's the thing, though. I think that our discussion of the Beatles just now probably did a lot to help us with that. (laughs) I think, And that is
0: is example number one of why I think we've been told we agree with each other too much. And I agree with that take. So, in the interest of throwing out some dissenting opinions here... We wanted to do a Mount Rushmore of albums that each of us love, but the other person either doesn't know or hasn't really listened to as much.
1: Yeah, and in some cases, the ones we've picked are, there's a big discrepancy in listens. So maybe Sean has listened to an album a million times, one of his favorite records, and I've only listened a couple times, or vice versa. Yep. Um, so, do we want to limit it to four? We let's do- just
0: do four. Let's okay. just do four because we both kind of nominated a lot here.
1: Do you want to go? Do you know what your four is going to be or do you want me to go? Um, yeah, I, I, can I,
0: try. I, I will go. I'll okay. go. Uh, number one, I'm going Neon Bible by Arcade Fire. And I know this is an album that you've listened to a few times. Yeah. But I think the discrepancy between you listening a few times in that this is one of my top 100 favorite albums of all time. Yes. Is big enough where I'm like, wait, this is a weird like where I'd step on that one. Yep. So, I'm going with Neon Bible at number 1 right there. Uh number 2, Jake, is Samstown by the Killers. Okay. This is another one Fair. that would be in my top 100. Say what you will. Say what you want about the Killers. Say what you want about Samstown. I fucking love this album because it's channeling Bruce Springsteen, who you know I love. It's channeling that, like, Americana sound mixed with the like the glam of their first album. Yes. That is my ideal killer's sound. And for that, I'm putting it at, at my number two.
1: Have you listened to that? Uh, no, I don't know if I have all okay. the way through. If I did, it was, like, once. So okay. you're, you're on okay. point with that.
0: Uh, the other... My number three... Is I'm going with the replacements with Please to Meet Me. Okay. So this is a band that I know you've also listened to and enjoy. I think the replacements in general yeah. I'm higher on.
1: You are and you've listened to them more and you've spent more time with them. And that's a thing where like throughout my list, there's also it's like there are bands in general where you could say it. Like, yeah. you, like the replacements yeah. is one where I mean I wouldn't say it's fair to say I haven't listened to Let It Be. Right. Or even Tim at this point, but definitely with the replacements. As a general statement, for sure.
0: Yeah, so I'm going with with Pleased to Meet Me here. And honestly, you could make the argument, depending on what version of the replacements you like the best, that could easily be their best album, I think. I've seen that argument made on certain lists. It has some great songs on there, like Can't Hardly Wait and Skyway and Alex Chilton. So very worth checking out um, if you like the replacements at all. And my last one here, Jake, is I think this... Falls into the same category. I'm going with At Mount Zoomer by Wolf Parade. Yep, I know you've listened to the first Wolf Parade album. Um, but Out Mount Zoomer is really, really good. I'm not gonna say it's as good as their first album, but it's up there and uh, very, very worth listening to. I don't, you don't, haven't you listened to that one?
1: I don't think I have listened to Mount Zoomer. Okay, Okay. I I don't believe I have. Okay, I've listened to some of the songs, maybe one time. But if I'm having th- that kind of a, like, oh, maybe, like, then it, right. it counts toward this list. Okay. Um, some of the ones I picked, so I'm going to try to pick four. I think uh, a big one for me is Aerosmith, Rocks. I'll pick Rocks. I can also pick Toys in the Attic. I know you've listened to these albums. Um, Rocks is one of my favorite rock albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Aerosmith very deservedly gets a bad rap for the shit they pulled later in yeah. uh, later decades becoming like one of the most sort of commercial and obnoxious Mm. bands of Mm. all time. Mm -hmm. Um, But they really had a fastball in the 70s, and they had a like grimy sort of sludgy funk rock sound that no one else really had or or I don't think did as well. So that's one for me. Um, Another more modern one, uh, and it's one of the rare new albums we don't connect on, is Swing Low Magellan by Dirty Projectors. I had a really good run with this record. Um, I like it way better than that. The newest one that came out this year. I I think this is a a really, really good album, and I feel like for some reason it never, you never connected with it. No, no, and that's
0: kind of the case with me and Dirty Projectors in general, as we've been over on this podcast.
1: um, A big one for me is I'm gonna go Frank Zappa. Apostrophe. Yeah.
0: I don't think you've really... Have you taken the time with Zappa? I think I've listened to maybe Freak Out once. Yeah.
1: And he's he's weird. Apostrophe is the one for me where it's mid-70s. It's definitely zany. It's crazy. All shit that I'm sure you probably wouldn't be digging. Right. But there's some really cool stuff there, too. And I've listened to Apostrophe, like, kind of a lot. Um, I think the last one I'll go with um, is...
0: The b 52s
1: self-titled oh, album. Yeah,
0: that's a great... That is maybe the best example of this on there. and An album you really like that I detest. Well, I mean, but did you give it... No, I haven't chance? listened no. since I was like 16. And you probably listened what? I didn't even finish the album. Right, so there you go.
1: <laughs> and that's what I mean. And that's the same with some of the ones you pick yeah, where it's like yeah. one of us is, I feel like, not giving enough right. due... And the other thinks it's really, really good. You know, Let's, Do you want to rifle off a couple
0: quick yeah, ones, Yeah, I have a few other ones. Uh, we Have the Facts, and we're voting yes by Death Cab. First Aid Kits, two albums. How to Dress Well, Total Loss, Nepenthe, Juliana Barwick, Kathleen Edwards, Voyager. Last Shadow Puppets, Age of the Understatement, Alex Turner's Other Band. Have you listened to that? Uh, no, I don't think okay, so. Okay, you got to check that out. Um, Surfer Blood with Astro Coast. Yeah. Telekinesis, 12 Desperate Straight Lines. This is a nice pop... Poppy pop rock album that came out in 2012 or 13 that I kind of forgot about even. And I was yeah. like, oh, wait, this album I listened to a ton that year. Yeah. Um, Tune Yards with Who Kill, Wild Beast with Smother. I think
1: I've listened to Smother a couple times. Okay. But again, it falls into that vein. For me, some of them were Buffalo Springfield with that, they have their greatest hits collection, yep. which is one of my favorite albums of all time. Pretty much all of Aerosmith. Um, I also had Pretzel Logic by Steely Dan, which is one more. I feel like you might even like it, but it's like you've right. never even. I don't think you've listened to it. Uh, <laughs> Big Head Todd and the right, Monsters right. on here, which I can't <laughs> hold anyone accountable for not listening to, but I like um, Milo with Who Told You What to Think and or Who Told You to Think and So the Flies Don't Come. Double Fantasy by John Lennon. Yeah. Uh, I have all of System of a Down. Right, right, right. Which I actually. And no I'm not going to say guilty pleasure because fuck that. No, I really like no, System such of thing is guilty pleasure. I really like System of a Down. I think they have a actually really solid kind of airtight discography. Yeah. Um, with really really good albums.
0: I had Surfs Up by the Beach Boys but I know you I been- I've I've listened for the first time this year. I've listened a good amount of time okay. this, the this year. Have, the reason I included it I is. I had a nice little like, week long yeah. run with that where I was like, oh, wait, this is awesome. And then
1: I have some jazz ones on here. Uh, uh, um, and uh, The Saint and the Sinner Lady mm. by uh, Charles Mingus, and then um, Live at the Village Vanguard. Village Vanguard is
0: really good. I've listened to that once or twice. Oh, okay. I did, I okay. do really enjoy that. I have not listened to those other ones, though. I think the big takeaway from each of our lists. I know what it is. They're very much us lists.
1: They are. Well, what I was going to say is that yours trends towards more modern music and mine trends more towards older music. And uh, it's interesting because I, I would be willing to bet that a lot, some of yours. Are from that period where you, I think, were more engaged with new music mm-hmm. for a few years than I had been mm-hmm. or was willing to or had.
0: A lot of those. That surfer blood, telekinesis, tune yards, wild beasts. Yep. That's all in that, how to dress well. That's all in that 2000, first aid kit, that 2011 to 2013, 14 area. Yeah. That, yeah, I think you're talking about. But yeah, I think these sum us up pretty well, actually. And these, I think, are the biggest gaps that both of us have. And again, much like that Pitchfork list, I think yours have given me some ones that I should go and listen to.
1: I I feel totally the same about yours. And I would say, listeners, if you have albums that you feel um, others that you love and maybe you've never gotten the chance to talk to somebody else about loving them because you feel like no one else really listens to it, uh, I'd be very interested to see what those are. I would be,
0: too. I would be, too. Tweet at us. Yeah. So that wraps up this week's episode. It was a packed one. It's a long one. Um, And stick around after the outro music for some Thrones thoughts, too. Game of Thrones talk.
1: Yeah, not glowing Thrones talk. No,
0: no, no, it wasn't.
1: Not exceptionally positive. Not to, not to, uh, no spoilers.
0: Yeah, so stay tuned for that, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Okay, hot mics. Okay, you know what I love on the Bill Burr podcast is when he says something like he's talking about the Red Sox, and he will be like, and like, oh, fuck, what's it like? He'll be talking about Aaron Judge. You'd be like, that Aaron Judge is a shitty baseball player, and we're taking callers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love when he does that. Like when he's going on a particularly <laughs> yeah
1: hot yeah. Like yeah. he sounds like a shock jock.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um. Yeah. He was also on a kick a little bit, like a, a week or two ago, that made me laugh every time <laughs> when he'd go like, doot do, this is a story, <laughs> and he'd say like whatever yeah. he was talking about. He'd
1: do the Brady Bunch things, like "Do do
0: do do, doot, here's the
1: story of a fucking jackass, <laughs> and like, yeah. he like sings it, yeah. yeah. Dude, he's awesome. Uh, hey, what's up? How's it going? It's Bill Burr. It's time for the Monday Morning Podcast. How's it going? How are you?
0: Um... Thrones thoughts Jake Yeah Thrones thoughts So We Have an ice dragon An undead ice dragon Now Yes Which I was actually Surprised by Um I didn't think that was going to happen I didn't consider it for some reason So they caught me off guard At the end with that I thought that was a cool scene I think a lot of other people Uh Guessed That that was going to happen though
1: Yes Big shout To big friend of the pod Mary Kate Who Foresaw That as a development Um Josh, who has been on this show before, listeners, you might remember him, I think he came on to talk about episode three? Yeah. We're going to have him on again for the finale if everything lines up. He hated this episode. Um, I think on Twitter he gave it a three out of ten. He said hmm. three out of ten Thrones episode. Um, and really seemed to dislike the Ice Dragon thing. I think from a perspective of he's rooting for the characters and doesn't want to see that happen to them. Um I came from it from a different angle where I felt like it was not a very good episode, but I sort of kind of think it's interesting what they're doing with the dragon.
0: I actually like the Ice Dragon development. It, again, evens the playing field. That's something we've talked about in our recaps before where we thought, you know, having three dragons and a couple armies, it's making it a little too easy. Yeah. But now... The White Walkers have their own dragon, kind of evens the playing field. So I actually do like it from that perspective. I'm interested to see how they kill this dragon. It seems like what they were referring to is they're going to have to defeat the Night King for that to, for maybe the dragon to not be a yeah. thing anymore.
1: I'm curious to see, do you
0: think the this undead dragon will shoot ice? I would th- I don't know. Maybe. Or some sort of blue flame. I don't know. It's a good question. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see that in action.
1: Overall, though, the shit has kind of hit the fan in a way I don't like in this ep- this season and this episode. The plot to go, like we alluded to last week, north of the wall and steal a white... Should have been obvious to all parties that it was stupid and everyone was... I think what upsets me is that no one dissented really at all. There was like barely any discussion from these people who are supposedly some of the best warriors and like wartime thinkers of their time. Such a dumb plan... It's too dumb to be believable, I feel.
0: but I- And this is something... Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. And that detracts from whatever spectacle ends up coming after that. Because, yeah, it looks awesome to have White Walkers getting burned alive by a dragon who has finally come over the wall. Like, that is what we've been waiting for. It just doesn't feel earned in any way because the plotting to get them there is so convoluted and stupid. And that was all I could think about was... Why are they even here right now? They put themselves in this situation. I hope they all fucking die because they deserve it.
1: Yeah, it's just so dumb. It doesn't make sense. And also, like, just as an episode, just as a story, the way it all worked out was, I just thought, weird. Like, the way they get up there and they run into the hordes of White Walkers and then a perfect circle of ice breaking happens around them. And then... There's
0: a convenient rock for them to just be camped out on. And
1: it's like, oh, dude, like maybe if you th- if you threw that rock, um, the like little rock that the hound yeah. throws that lets them know it's not frozen, it's like, first of all, dude, what the fuck are you <laughs> doing? Right. You're a liability. You have been this whole time. <laughs> Second of all, like, oh, what if he threw that an hour earlier? Right. Before Danny was there, would they all be killed? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is happening with, like... The convenience of the fact that the ice melted just right for there to be this perfect circle. And, like,
0: these undead, these, like, vicious warriors can't figure out some way around it except wait. Yeah, and it seems like they have no problem throwing themselves into the line of fire otherwise. And, like, almost seeming to sacrifice themselves to overwhelm the people they're fighting. Right. Why wouldn't they make a, a, a human... Like bridge over it because it doesn't ex- seem like they give a fuck about living or dying.
1: That's exactly what I thought, and and uh, like part of me was like, why wouldn't you just fill that trench R- with right. the undead? And maybe it's too deep, but you could make a bridge, yeah, or something. And it's like, dude, these like soldiers, the undead whites care so little that you can like throw a rock through their fucking jaw, right? And it doesn't <laughs> care; it just turns around, and it's like, oh, now I'm going to kill you because I've I've exploited your weakness. All that shit north of the wall I didn't like and I didn't care I just was like The
0: best part of it was just the one-on-one conversations we got when they yeah, were those walking. Were cool. That that was the best part. My big problem with this is this has stopped feeling like Game of Thrones and it has started to feel just like any run of the mill high fantasy story. So, yes, we've had magic and dragons and people coming back to life in past seasons, but it was always grounded in some kind of reality where you had to play by rules and there were consequences for your actions but now it's just I can do whatever the fuck I want I'm gonna get bailed out because I have plot armor on and the plot needs me to survive so I'm gonna survive and I think that's my biggest gripe with this entire season is things that would have been really hard in seasons past now feel way too easy dumb plans that would have been punished in the past are now rewarded and it just feels like Although he,
1: you can argue losing that dragon is not true reward. True, That's true no reward. But at all. you
0: know, Ned makes a small mistake in season one and get, ends up getting his head cut off. He trusted the wrong person once and yep. gets his head cut off. But John traveling north of the wall with like ten dudes going up against an army of the dead, that no one of importance dies. It was almost comical to see the no-name yes. Wildlings thrown to their death and all of the other more important people survive. I'm not counting Thoros cuz that dude's not that important. And
1: no, one, I I feel like no one except maybe dedicated book readers give yeah. a fuck. If you watch the show you didn't see him that much. Here's the thing that bothers me the most about this season is characters they're they're taking too many liberties with the way the characters act and they're acting very out of character. Yes. In a lot of cases. Arya is a
0: great example. I was going to
1: run them down. Arya is is maybe the first example where it's like, "Oh, I thought she was one of the most cunning, perceptive people in the Seven Kingdoms now, and instead she's just falling for Littlefinger's fucking plot." Yep. Um Sam leaving the Citadel. I know that was yep. last week's episode, and like basically quoting his dad saying like, "I'm tired of reading about better men." Like, dude, this is not like. Since when are you in such a rush? And like, talking over Gilly when she's saying really right. important stuff. Right. Not very much like him. Um, and, and and like again, like these warriors going out there with no plan. Tyrion having all the mm. bad ideas in the book, just like one after another, mm-hmm. not being at all like himself. Mm-hmm. And it it just it doesn't feel right. In that, some That's way. what
0: I mean by the show feels different now. It's that these characters who we've seen grow and change naturally over six seasons are now doing things just because it serves the breakneck speed of the plot that we have to have happen to get us to this end game of Ice Dragons and a meeting in King's Landing with all the important characters. Is that even going to feel as cool as it would have in past seasons where it's like, oh, like, remember... Only because it's been such a long road in general, but not for the season. Not for the season. It doesn't feel earned. Remember when... Tyrion had his trial by combat and everything was just building and building to to Oberyn versus the Mountain. That felt like a big event and it was earned and the payoff was huge. This does not feel earned in any way. And the fact that all of this bullshit needed to happen to get them there is going to feel a little cheap when it actually happens next week.
1: Totally. Um, You mentioned it earlier. I want to definitely talk about Arya. Mm. Dude, they better have this plot work out to be that she's somehow conning a little finger because if they don't it's really really stupid that she is all of a sudden now this easily swayed and so
0: like it's so simple to manipulate that really frustrates me it's it's out of character for who she is supposedly like at this point also the fact that somehow sansa and Arya haven't had like a reunion, just let's talk about what the fuck we've been through the right. past five years. What normal people wouldn't do that? How have they not been like? Well, I was basically held prisoner by the Lannisters and then raped by um,
1: Ramsay. Ramsey.
0: and then she'd be like, "Oh yeah, I was in all of these different cities learning how to like assassinate people, then like killed the and Frey family, and but nearly got killed myself." Wouldn't that bring them closer together? And-
1: You'd think, and it's like with Arya. I just don't buy... I, I know she's changed. I know that they've actually done a decent job of laying the foundation of... She's been growing increasingly and increasingly cold and unfeeling towards right. anyone. And more and more hell-bent on revenge. I still don't buy the fact that she would not believe Sansa at all with this. Right. It doesn't make any fucking sense to No, me. it doesn't. And uh, I think it was uh, Kevin, big shout, big friend of the pod, who sent me um, some screen grab or something he saw on Reddit... And it was like one. The top screen was Arya, like I saw you there that day. Your hair done all nice. Right. right. Father was killed or whatever. And then it was a screen grab of the actual scene, and it Sansa like screaming, That's stop, right. and like crying, yeah, and like demanding that they That's stop. That's right.
0: Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. It's like a huge. That's actually a really huge plot hole. Big big plot hole. And then like, Sansa. Also just needs to be better at communicating. Like, I, you know what I hate? My One of my least favorite TV tropes is characters just letting other characters walk away after they say something, like, incendiary or fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, when Arya is basically saying, I could cut your face off and become you if I want to, and she just takes the knife and, like, lets her walk away. How about you, like, no, 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 explain yourself, and we're going to talk through what the fuck is going on. I'm not going to let you go... Plot somewhere else in the castle now. We're going to talk this through like normal people.
1: Yeah, I, I, to- I agree. It is really frustrating that they... Because it's like in the real world, or I guess I, I feel like in a real situation, these two people would work it out in some way. Right. they at least talk it through. Right. Maybe Arya is beyond that point. Maybe she's so oh, but far gone. Try. She's but not she, even trying. Really, she's doing this like they have her playing Arya as this like psycho killer shtick. Yeah, she's doing like this serial killer movie villain shtick, and it's weird to me that that's where she's at.
0: Yeah, so many of these characters just feel off in service of the plot, and and I think it's an interesting question to ask why. Obviously, on the surface, it's what we need them to be to get us to the end game. I think it's a bigger question about the show in general of. Why are we rushing to the end like this? Why are we doing two shortened seasons at the end? What, what's the reasoning behind that?
1: Also, did you hear... I, I don't know. And did you hear that I guess the next season won't be out until like the end of 2018? Really? It could be like... They, they said it could be like a year and a half, oh, two wow. years.
0: Wow. Which that kind of sucks.
1: It does suck. I'm. And to be honest with you, with Thrones, what mm. happened... like th- This was such a long wait between seasons that... I almost, like, lost some interest. Right. I feel like in the time that goes between, especially after what has been a dicey season, to say the least, with some really good moments, but a lot of, like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Why are they doing it this way? This doesn't make sense. Moments... Uh, I might lose even more interest. I,
0: I could see that happening, too. You kind of forget what happens and Yeah, and well, all there's that. so
1: much that's happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, totally forgot what happened at the end of last season before well, this one.
1: I've totally forgotten, like, character arcs. Right. For certain small right.
0: characters. Right.
1: I'll be like, wait, what Like, did this dude do again? Right. Like, with Gendry, to be honest with yeah. you, with Gendry, I kind of forgot what his whole deal was. Yeah. I was like, I know he's important. I know he's Robert's bastard. I was like, but I kind of forget where he was supposed
0: mm. to have been for seasons on end. Right. Um, and the same thing happens to me. But it seems like we're trying to fit maybe three seasons worth of plot into one and a half seasons, basically. Especially
1: the way they've paced it in, in past seasons. I,
0: I, and I, I understand. I think Benioff and Weiss want to do different shit. Like they have that show Confederacy or something that's that's happening. Like the, the South won the Civil War or whatever, which is getting a ton of shit. Rightfully so, I think, in the climate that is happening now yeah. with like these like straight up Nazis and white nationalists like out there it's like that's not a great look for your network right now and I think they they specifically just want to be done with Thrones yeah HBO certainly doesn't want it to be over it's a cash cow for them
1: I think and I, I actually think about this a lot when I'm watching the show I imagine if you're an actor on Thrones a producer someone with a lot of stake who has to put a lot of work in I bet you don't like doing it anymore
0: hey, true yeah and there's so yeah. much
1: pressure I mean, I'm sure the pay is great, yeah. but I all I can think of now, not all I can think of, but a big thing I think about is like these people must all be so exhausted mm. during all these scenes. Mm-hmm. And if you're like Benioff or Weiss or any of the directors, having to try to cram so much story in and try to do it in a way that's compelling at all has got to be such a mentally exhausting
0: task. But they don't need to be cramming all of this story and like they have been i feel like they're making it harder for themselves yeah they oh they are i just mean like but they want it to be over because like in general it's so exhausting you mean
1: maybe that yeah because i i mean i was i would be ready to be done don't I you prob- think I,
0: I probably would too i mean it's been on, on since what 2011 yeah
1: i mean there are pictures of them casting the kids to play yeah. the starks in 2009 yeah it's gonna be a decade-long process i'm sure they're
0: tired of it that's crazy it is yeah. crazy So, overall, I think we're both disappointed in that episode, and we are both, I would say, disappointed in the season.
1: Yeah, again, there have been some moments that have been, you know, right up there with, I think, that that Loot Train episode. (laughs) The Loot Train battle. It's a really funny, like, name that we're calling it at this point. It's it's a bad name. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bad name. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Um, it doesn't, it's not
0: as cool sounding as the Red Wedding.
1: No, or like uh, Battle of the Blackwater. Right. A Blackwater Rush. Right. right? Is that what it's called? I uh, think it was just Battle of the Blackwater, but I like, think That in sounds general, fucking yeah. cool. Yeah. And I think it's no coincidence that this is shit that now the showrunners are naming. Yeah, and they're like, ooh,
0: we got a, like, a branding thing going with all these names. I
1: have heard some theories that uh, George R. R. Martin has kind of left them out to dry with this. I have heard um,
0: I have heard the same, and I think one of the reasons it feels so off now is because the last time George R.R. Martin gave them specifically this is what happens, happen, yeah. I think was back oh, it was, it was sometime last season. Um, it might have been Battle of the Bastards, might have been a little bit before that. Might have been when John gets resurrected, actually. Oh, okay. That might have been like the last time that he actually was like, This is exactly how it happens. Since then, he's given them, I think, just very loose. Pl- I think, like for example, he's like one of the dragons ends up becoming yep, that undead, was a note they got. and it was left for them to figure out how the fuck that happened. To, yeah, to and and bring that to, and that's fair. why like it seems so stupid. I think,
1: yeah, because it's not the way they came up with it was really bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder what it would have been in the actual book. I, I feel like we could think of better things. It's like maybe... Go
1: capture a white just
0: feels that so That feels stupid. really dumb.
1: Although, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm, I, obviously right now on the spot I'm not going to think of something.
0: but I don't oh, know. Right, right. But, I mean, these are people who are dedicated to writing the thing. You'd think they'd come up with something a little bit better than that. I don't know. Easier said than done to, to come up with plot points like that. What do you think goes down next week? I think what they're building up to obviously is the the Danny and John relationship, which those two actors have no chemistry whatsoever that's, I, I, I don't root for that in any way I don't ship that at all it's a
1: very fair criticism and I think the only reason people do ship it and do care about it is like oh they're the two biggest characters
0: and like they're both does, hot okay, that doesn't matter and it also has weird incestuous overtones
1: yeah it's sort of an odd look to be rooting for that part. Yeah,
0: that's one of the reasons it makes me uncomfortable the other is they both kind of suck at acting and they don't have chemistry together it all feels very forced they're like interactions together
1: yeah it does yeah, it really does. Uh next week so it was on the it was like they showed the thing with Cersei where they're meeting in that like court- I'm excited. Courtyard. I'm excited
0: for that for that meeting.
1: Me too, because anything with the Lannisters I just enjoy.
0: And Tyrion's gonna reunite with Jamie and and yeah, uh, and I, Cersei.
1: I'm hopeful that they'll they'll wrap this bumpy ride up with some kind of I don't know, man, like at least something that it sort of salvages what was going on because are, I I again I really hope that there's something I think something really really interesting has to happen at this I, point. I think it has
0: to. Are we going to shed some of the plot armor of the big characters? Are are, are there going to be major deaths in play here, like a Sansa or an Arya or a Littlefinger, Cersei, somebody? W- okay, so who are we going to get a Mountain and Hound battle? Because isn't he going with them to deliver the White?
1: Maybe. Yeah, like, it could be I, the Clegane Ball people yeah. have talked about. One sec. Can I pause this? Because it feels like our levels are way off. Sure. I don't know what the hell's going on. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so you, you, we could yeah. have that where mm-hmm. the Hound and the Mountain have some sort of a fight. Uh, I don't know what to expect. And I really think that it's going to be Cersei and the Lannisters trying to trick Daenerys in some way.
0: I think they're going to end up teaming up. I think you do. Okay. Cersei and Jamie Well,
1: because her long con, her long play is to eventually right. them.
0: I, I think they've been around too long at this point in the show where they have some of that plot armor, too. And I think we all assumed they would just be dispatched with easily this season and they would be the first enemy and then the last season would be the White Walkers exclusively. It's kind of flipped, actually. And I think they're going to somehow end up teaming up, at least for a little bit, and uh, uniting against the White Walkers.
1: Who do you think are the characters who we absolutely can't lose before going into next season? Because it's what, John Daenerys, Tyrion. Do you think he's? Do you think he's a potential someone who they would do away with now?
0: I don't think so. I don't think they Cersei? will. Cersei. I Definitely think she'll not. stick around. Jamie. I think he'll stick around.
1: Jamie feels like maybe the one who because they've flirted with killing him I, off a little bit. I
0: know, bit. but I, I just think that he is going to be the one that kills Cersei. Yeah. I think that But maybe
1: that could happen this episode. True. True. So maybe Cersei the bell tolls for her.
0: People on the, the chopping block are gonna be people like Braun, Jorah, yeah. Tormund. Jorah's thing. Littlefinger, dude. Sansa, Arya. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them gets gets the axe.
1: I wouldn't either. And, and I think honestly at this point it comes down to the their top billed actors yeah. in some ways. Like Jamie. Is, I think he gets top billing, doesn't he now? He does.
0: He's the first credit. Which yep. is really interesting. Yep.
1: Um, yeah, man. I don't know. It's, like, it's hard to know what to expect because I just feel like where they're going with it is so weird. The, the last couple episodes, this whole plot about going north, none of it rang true to me and that's all I've been able to focus me on. Me too. Is the fact that they could have gotten to where we're at an episode ago without ever going there. Mm-hmm. You don't need this White Walker to prove it and why do you even need to prove it to her?
0: Well, uh, it's to get the ice dragon cuz how would we get that if sure, they didn't have to sure. go north? And then it gives them a convenient reason to go talk to them. Uh, it just it all so, seems so silly though, I know. Just go anywhere. I know. I know. Don't or don't fucking go because why would you ever trust her?
1: Yeah, at this point I think I don't know if it's how it would have gone in the books or how far they even are in the books. I don't think they're anywhere near any of these plot lines. No. But the shit with Cersei, it's like she's essentially powerless at this point. Yeah, it makes no sense that you would risk so much, like all your best warriors, Jon Snow especially, and like for what? To prove to Cersei, the queen of fucking nothing, right? That there's these, this threat exists. Just go take care of it. Right. You have fucking three dragons. Just do it. You t- don't need her. Yeah. What? I don't understand. And they didn't do a very good job explaining why they had to prove that.
0: I don't know, man. I really don't know. How about last thing about John? How about him just getting himself involved in situations where he has to get his ass bailed out every single time? Like, it was almost like a mirror image of the end of Battle of the Bastards or midway through Battle of the Bastards where it was one guy against, like, a thousand enemies and he just has his sword out ready to go. Same thing happened here. And then... uh, Benjamin X Machina shows up to save him.
1: And then dies immediately. And then dies
0: immediately where... He did
1: have a really cool flaming flail. He,
0: You know, the thing about that, it looked awesome when he was on the horse. It was working really well. Off the horse, he killed one white and then it was
1: overrun.
0: Yeah, I know. It didn't take long. (laughs) I was like, I want to see how many he takes out. It was one. It was a cool looking... (laughs) It was cool. But he, I just have to point out, John was like, "Get on the horse." He's like, "There's no time." It's like, "No, there was time. You could have hopped on the horse." Like, just "Get on." Just get on. Uh, anyways, I, I don't care about him really. Um, I like yeah, in general Yeah, he's Yeah, he's fine. But I don't care if he lives or dies. No, I don't need. He either. might as well have been dead this whole time. Right. They just but needed him. John, I, I've heard this theory that he just wants to die actually, and that he is like, "I'm sick of this shit. I just want this to be over. I don't want to have to deal with this Night King shit." And I think he was kind of fighting towards the Night King, t- to be like, I just want to take care of this now. I'm going to try and kill him now. Even if I even if even dies. if I die, just so it's over with.
1: Yeah, dude, that's it was pretty crazy. Especially because he was like just got out of the frozen water. Yeah, and and then how about that?
0: Yeah, like what? I, I was thinking know, about.
1: Can you imagine how uncomfortable you would be?
0: <sighs> yeah, how seriously. fucking cold. You'd free you'd like freeze to death on the horse ride back.
1: Dude, I yeah honestly. I don't know. I I wish that I had more positive takeaways from this episode. I just don't have that much.
0: I don't either, man. I don't really either. Uh, Listeners, let us know what you thought. I I, I get the sense that the internet was all kind of on the same page.
1: Yeah, I think that there was in some ways there was that kind of like... The thing that happens with Thrones where there's a big moment. And for this, it was the Ice Dragon where everyone was like, oh shit. Like that's sort of like the collective
0: reaction. Big moments do not make... A good no, TV show, no, though
1: they don't, and I think that at this point, Thrones has made its bread on that, mm-hmm. and it is no longer earning it in the same way. Right, and so when you have these big reveals, the internet's still going to go crazy because it's just the sheer numbers of how many people watch it. But yeah, I agree. It doesn't feel like it's been very positive, positive. and in fact, on that Ringer podcast binge mode with Jason and Mallory, I've been listening to it just to listen about the the recent episodes, the yeah. new ones. Um, it's actually been really interesting because they have a lot of knowledge and um, they were very critical of last week's episode for all the reasons I mentioned before like all the character lapses Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the fact that Jorah left after just getting there Sam's thing, Arya's stuff I'm very curious to see what they say about this Mm -hmm. one because I just think it was an even more flawed
0: episode yeah it definitely felt that way so we'll see if they can wrap it up in the finale it's going to be 80 minutes long I guess yeah I mean it's called the I think it's called The Dragon and the Wolf
1: the dragon and the wolf. Oh, oh, last thing. Last thing. There were some internet theories, and I heard some scuttlebutt about the fact that when you... I think it was two episodes ago. In the dragon's eye, when Jon was patting it, you oh, could see a yeah. wolf. Did you see I it?
0: Didn't see I shit. didn't see shit. I didn't see shit. I didn't see anything. People were also freaking out about his sword when like, when he was underneath the water, and his sword was there. And the wolf's eye was closed, and then when his hand came back up, it opened.
1: Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I
0: think people were were freaking out about that too.
1: I didn't notice that. There's no show ever where people freak out more about
0: shit. Yeah, about little Easter eggs. Yeah, or it, or like perceived Easter eggs. Right.
1: Yeah, people want it. Real. Yeah. Like there's so many fan theories. Yeah. There's so many fan, th- and some of them are so stupid.
0: Someone like someone calculated how long it actually would have taken yep. Gendry to run back to the wall to send the raven to get the dragon there like it would have been about five days about the same exact time it would have taken the lake to refreeze in ten degree temperatures it's like okay man yeah. even the director of this episode said I know we were fudging the timeline a little bit yeah. but whatever the, people watch it
1: I saw the very end of it where was like the timeline adds up guys it's like alright dude what
0: lengths are you going to go to to defend, to defend this? this shit the director himself was like you know, it's a really popular show. If people didn't watch it and there was less people, maybe we would have thought more about that. But people, a lot of people watch it. That's basically what he said. He was like, people are going to lap this up no matter what. So it doesn't matter. He's right. right. And I immediately
1: thought that. I was like, okay, so these fucking dragons are coming right in time. When it happened... It had nowhere near the impact that it did during the loot train. train, Yeah, like that time. That was the one time I've ever thought the dragons were really, really fucking cool. Right. And like the reveal was cool. The whole Dothraki thing. It was unexpected. The way it happened. With this, it had the predictability of like a major blockbuster Mm -hmm. when, or like a a, a superhero movie, Mm -hmm. where at this point, like I go to superhero movies not for the plot at all. I go for basically. The rising action, Mm -hmm. because I find everything past the climax or like up leading to the climax and after Mm -hmm. boring as shit. They all play out the same, and that's how that kind of felt. I was like, one hundred percent. We know what's gonna happen because they're surrounded. Like John has been a few times, but John can't be beat, right? And we know that plot armor, yeah, and it's going to play he's going to get saved
0: and, twice and and that's what i mean about this show feeling different than in years past in years past i would've been like oh they're all dead yeah now no of course not they're not going to die yeah and that's that's the frustrating thing
1: and again I mean, part of it again does have to do with the fact that we're narrowing toward a conclusion right uh but another part of it is like well that's what people like so much about thrones yeah and yeah i don't know I, well I'm very very curious to see what happens with this next episode I'm definitely excited to watch um, oh but, yeah but I uh, the the fact that it's going to be so long between whatever shit cliffhanger they give us mm-hmm. next Sunday mm-hmm. and the next half season yep which, which will probably be on in fucking 2019 right right like it has me all time low excited
0: actually me, me too me too and like kind of bummed out and like pissed at the way they're handling all of this yeah, I mean, yeah. It's funny how it, like riled up we get <laughs> about this thing. It's just <laughs>
1: entertainment. <laughs>
0: uh, a couple triggered snowflakes here. Yeah, Jake.
1: that's right. The triggered snowflake podcast.
0: Uh, let's talk some music. Let's dive in. Yeah, let's let's do it. dive in. Uh, you got everything open? Yeah. I do. Oh shit! I don't have a 1987 in history. Hold on, real quick. Big big albums in '87.
1: Yep. Yep. Haydn's podcast was all about yeah, that. Yeah. You don't
0: even need to look them up, man. Well, I have them up. So I'm sure you don't even need to look them up, I'm going to
1: refer to it. I'm just going to, you know, Ah. have it up. Nah, Jake. Why don't you close it?
0: Okay. Here we go. This will be a test. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ready? Three, two, one...